This is the Engineering Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Avi Noda. In this episode, I speak with Yelmer Borst, a product manager for Picnic Technologies Platform Group. Yelmer explains what the value is of having a PM in an internal facing team and shares this process for gathering feedback from developers to understand where they're experiencing friction. Welcome to the show, Yelmer. It's great to have you here today. Thanks for having me. You know, it's interesting to have you on the show because we typically talk with engineering leaders or engineers who work in platform or enablement or DevX teams, but you're a product manager, which is a bit unique. I'm curious to know, how did you end up working in platform versus a customer-facing function? Yeah, that's a very good one. Of course, uh, there's also a lot of people around me with uh, sort of great engineers, and that's so sort of a sort of an interesting mix to that end. But um, when I joined Picnic about let's say five six years ago, we started out with one sort of one big team of engineers, and we didn't really have products or product managers to that end. And then we started formalizing them, sort of splitting off from this sort of huge team. And I initially was focused around payments and finance. As we were moving to Germany, so as our second country next to the Netherlands, this really had a challenge for us where we had to accept payments, which is very different because in Europe, everything is very localized to that end. We had to change a lot of things. For myself, I had to really get to sort of the, the architecture of how we do things and go to these sort of nitty gritty details there. And also how we very quickly also realized is that you shouldn't mess with people's money. So if you charge them sort of twice or, or you don't refund the money, people will get upset. So it also made us really sort of a big focus around sort of quality and how do we release things. And we went more towards, let's say, continuous sort of releasing like for multiple releases on a given day and really sort of this continuous deployment sort of model. Um, and that sort of over time sparked my interest a lot. And I started doing more and more things around it, more research in my own time to see how can we just improve as a team and also working with other of our platform teams within, within, within Picnic. So, and then after we internally restructured things a little bit, then I sort of jumped ship a bit and became uh, PM for our platform uh, teams. And to that sense, the first one as well, and that uh, sort of uh, made a nice challenge to sort of see where can we introduce product management more in, in other of our uh, platform teams. Thanks for sharing that. And I'm curious, kind of what's the scope of your platform team today then? So we have a few platform teams. So we have one around Java platforms, I think around like tools and libraries for, for most of our backend engineers as most of our backend services are in, uh, in Java. We have a Python platform, some backend services, but a lot of uh, things for data science, a lot of sort of more cron job, sort of offline, like scheduled sort of jobs that are written in Python. We have a lot of analysts working on our company who are building things in Python. So really sort of giving them sort of the tools to sort of accelerate there. We have one around analytics, which is, let's say, Kafka pipelines, giving tools for our customer analytics, but also for internal analytics around what happens in our warehouses, what happens let's say, during the delivery, and sort of all the screens and things that you sort of see. We're building up uh, one around QA, so so for around quality, how do we do our testing, and but also, again, sort of giving the tools to everyone sort of within, within Picnic, making sure we use sort of everyone's knowledge around that. And then sort of related teams, so around security, digital workspace, but also infrastructure and, um, uh, and networking. Well, that's a lot of different responsibilities. And... I'm curious, how many other PMs are there then within this group? 
other than yourself? So we are now at, I believe, so four other PMs. And definitely looking to increase that, but it's a bit of a struggle finding the right one. So whilst we are hiring PMs, going through sort of the, the hiring process, we in many cases have not fi- found, let's say, good ones there. In a few cases, we were able to sort of more hire directly. And this is very often still sort of people with like an engineering sort of background, but then moving towards, towards product to that end. So having a bit of a different route than for myself, where I actually came from the, from the other side, if you will. Interesting. Well, that brings up useful topic because I've definitely spoken with other engineering leaders who've kind of talked about the difficulty of recruiting and hiring PMs for platform teams. So I'm curious, you know, what's been the experience for you guys in trying to go out and recruit and hire? Like what's been the biggest challenge in terms of finding people? Like many companies finding, let's say, good people in tech is, is, is just a big challenge in, in itself. We are, let's say, we are getting bigger. So we have about 250 people in, in tech at the moment. So it's definitely already changing towards, let's say, compared to like a couple of years ago. So there you were really sort of this small sort of startup, which you're sort of fighting with the, with the bigger ones. Where there, we what helped us a lot is, is really... Just, let's say, speed is a massive difference, right? If you can iterate, let's say, these multiple routes, if you can basically be able to respond faster than, let's say, these big organizations, which maybe take one to two weeks to sort of respond to sort of your interview route, if you can already cut that down to, let's say, one to two days, then you're just, you're, you're just faster to give them an offer, right? For the ones that you want to hire. Now we are slowly transitioning into a mode, which is actually pretty cool to see where people are actually coming from larger or from sort of other more well-known organizations are actually not applying at us because they actually want to go back again to a little bit something smaller again, a little bit something a bit more dynamic, but at the same time, bring so much experience sort of with them, uh, which helps us a lot sort of making the next step in our organization as well, right? We, like very few people in our organization have worked in an organization larger than we are currently at, right? So this is also like our... CEO also makes this sort of the analogy from time to time. This is the largest company I've ever run, right? I've never done this before. So, but from time to time, getting, let's say, people in from that did have that experience does help. And I think that that gives a very sort of healthy mix compared with more sort of junior hires where we have like an internal tech academy as well to really get them to up to speed and really sort of giving them the learning opportunities, which allows you to, let's say, hire people where other companies might not sort of take that path. So you're hiring a lot for potential, which is harder and it doesn't always pan out. But if it does, then it's, um, it's, it's, uh, it works very well. Well, that makes sense. And those sound like great strategies for sort of competing with maybe larger, more established companies that can maybe pay more. I'm curious to know more specifically about the challenge of finding people of the right profile to be a platform PM specifically. And I think you touched on this earlier when you said you were maybe looking at pulling people more from engineering backgrounds. So how are you specifically finding people who can be successful as platform PMs? So you have a few traits that you would require in in sort of any. So one of the key things that where I think PMs in our platform teams can provide a lot of value is is very much focused around communication and collaboration, right? Where we have amazing engineers who love to sort of build sort of the next level of their domain, 
but they're not always looking into, hey, I, I don't want to sort of spend my day sort of talking to all these other teams, but I want to sort of build this next thing, which is super that they're doing it, but that also needs to be used and also needs to be, you also need to get sort of the experience of, let's say, all the other products within your company. So one of the things where, where I really feel that they can provide a lot of value is around that sort of communication and collaboration. But that's very similar to sort of any PM position. In here, I do require them to have a bit more technical knowledge, right? You need to understand what your team is actually building. And the level is a little bit, it's a bit harder to sort of get into. Whereas maybe for, of course, if you look at UX and UI, that's also a, a very sort of expertise to have, but it's a bit easier to grasp sort of what, what that means for your customers. But here you do require them to, to really sort of understand what are you building. So if you are on a Java platform team, you want them to be able to at least read, but also write a little bit of Java to understand, hey, if you are giving the tools for others to maybe do a certain migration, what does it actually entail? What questions are they sort of asking? What do you need to sort of help them with? So, so that is definitely something also the interview process want to, I want to touch upon to, to sort of see to what extent they, they, they can do that. A challenge we do find is that because we have a quite a broad range of these sort of platform teams, it's very hard to have sort of one strategy where you're just looking for sort of a generic PM that could sort of work in any of those teams. So whilst conceptually it is quite nice because they are then sort of more flexible, et cetera, I think in practice we, we do seem to, to hire more sort of specifically per team to that end, right? So around QA, you want to have somebody with, let's say some, preferably with some QA background or around sort of analytics, it's very helpful to understand what does it mean for analysts or in data warehouses or maybe managing sort of data pipelines, which is very different from, for example, infrastructure. Really interesting thoughts. I'm curious to know, do you think someone like a platform PM has to be technical then? Like, do they have to have a technical background or have you, do you think you can be successful without one? I think you can be without, but it, but you will not have an easy time. <laughs> so it does require you to do a lot of sort of research into what does it mean to sort of build things. And if you've never written a single line of code, there's quite a sort of a journey you need to sort of go through. That said, it's, it's, it's definitely not impossible. And it's, I think a lot of the other things still definitely apply, like doing research, user research, figuring out sort of their challenges, be able to sort of translate that into sort of actionable things to actually sort of work on and iterate is what you can do in, in anything. That makes sense. Well, I was recently speaking with Will Larson, who you may know, he is writing a book on infrastructure teams called InfraEng. And he mentioned he didn't have PMs on his infra team. He said part of the challenge is it's very difficult for PMs to maybe build a career as a PM in platform or infra because a lot of the things you work on are a little bit invisible, right? They don't directly impact revenue, they don't directly impact customers, they're they're a little internal. So I'm curious, like, do you agree with that sort of opinion from Will or has it been different in your case? I can see his point. What what, what I would see, what I would think about is building sort of a career for, for a PM being fairly invisible, I think is 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 across I think all products to to sort of that end. I do think we tend to over generalize or let's say think about well Maybe like very stereotypically, developers do not care about UX. Therefore, you need to have somebody translating that and working on that and sort of having some clear specifications for them to work on. I think in reality, by the way, that this is not true. I think a lot of engineers do care about that. But 
that may be therefore more invisible if you're talking about more technical products. I do think they can still provide a lot of value. So of course, I like to see it as you're sort of a B to B to C type of sort of model, right? So we're we're building internally for other companies or other products for them to be successful, which means that your metrics is completely different because we are, our metrics is not, in many cases, is not about revenue growth, but it's more about developer productivity, which has their own metrics to then figure out what do they need to become successful. And it becomes a little bit harder to explain maybe to your board, like, why are you there? What is your, what is your fit? But I think it's still very helpful to think about what is the value that you are building as a product, right? And are you spending your people in the right places to get the most value out of it, right? We shouldn't just build things for the sake of it. And I think that sort of slowly or, yeah, you see a little bit of a change where I think in the past we have seen, let's say, infrastructure teams as in being centralized and, hey, we just put it there because it's easy to put everything in in sort of a single place, transitioning into what value can they sort of add and how can they give the tools to other teams to to sort of be successful and moving more towards this self-service model, if you will. I love that insight around, you know, maybe your metrics are different rather than revenue growth being kind of your KPI. You have that B2B2C model where, you know, developer productivity, that internal sort of enablement is impact on the business. We'll come back around to maybe talking about how you actually measure and track that, but kind of continuing to talk about the role of PMs on platform teams. I'm curious. So not every platform team outside of Picnic has a PM, you know, so I'm curious, what's your opinion on whether they should have one? Like, what do you think these teams are missing that currently don't have platform PMs? I like the question. It's um, in some cases you could get away with, let's say, sort of a tech lead or an engineering manager sort of covering a little bit of sort of both sides of it. What I think makes it just you as a team much stronger is having, let's say, sort of these two sides of the coin uh, in there. So having on one hand, let's say, strong engineers working on the product, but at the same time, keep doing that, that research, keep doing that, figuring out what are the struggles of the other product teams are. And I think to that end, you can be much more effective and get much more sort of value out of it. And in some cases, the, the platform team can sometimes be seen as, as sort of this sort of these people where they just define the standards and other people just need to adopt it or something, right? Whereas what I think you, uh, what you can do as a PM is really sort of one hand communicate, well, why is it important we are doing something, right? Because in some cases you do have to, especially maybe if you're thinking about security or maybe if we're sort of moving towards, let's say, more future-proof tech. But at the same time, also, let's say, translating those those challenges that other teams have to your engineers and your platform teams. Um, and I think it is hard um, for people to understand how their product is used across many teams. So in our case, we're very lucky that we have a very high retention rate and we have a lot of people in our platform teams that have been with us for quite some time, which means that they they know at least few people in every team to sort of talk to them and have that sort of relationship. But sort of the other challenge is then having sort of newer joiners joining that because they're missing the context. They're missing, let's say, they understand how maybe this is used in one or two teams, but then you're sort of solving the problem for those instead of trying to solve 
for at least sort of 80% of the dev teams within, within your organization. In our case, we have around 30 product teams in total. But imagine if you have maybe 50 or 100, that becomes they're sort of impossible for to get that full picture. And I think they're having somebody at least dedicated on this and call it PM, call it a different sort of title. I, I don't, don't mind, but I think it's it's important that you that you do this work. And if that means that you as an engineering manager are doing that, that is all great. I mean, to that extent, it's sort of more a role in the team than just, let's say, the title to that. I love that explanation. And certainly in talking to other platform teams and enablement teams, this sort of muscle of understanding the customer, doing the research is something that all these teams face challenges with. So so I think it makes sense that sort of the PM role can be a function that's devoted to that and brings excellence to that craft. I'm curious, you touched on this in your in your previous statements, but previously told me about a pretty interesting approach you guys developed for collecting feedback about new versions of libraries that your team releases. I'm curious, what was the problem you were having? Like what prompted you guys to develop this approach? Some of our platform teams, they develop libraries for other devs to use. So around, for example, Java, Python, or analytics. And you're building that, but you also need to understand, does it actually work, right? So maybe if you're releasing sort of a new feature or you're deprecating something, what does that sort of mean for other teams? In the past, we sometimes maybe took the approach where we said, well, this is only sort of a one-day effort for you to migrate, or it's sort of to adoption of, let's say, um, this new framework is super straightforward. But then, of course, if you're sort of the expert and you sort of know everything and all the intricate details, then yes, for you, that may be just like a single day or maybe just an hour to sort of do that. But for other teams who've maybe not even heard of this before, or maybe they have not sort of experience or sort of the time to really look at that, that becomes, that might be very different. So maybe where it's for you one hour, maybe for your other team, is maybe a five-day effort to sort of figure out what they need to do and how they sort of need to do that. So of course, on one end, you can sort of improve by, let's say, having better, let's say, guides or uh, let's say documentation around these things. But on the other side, we want to sort of collect also the, the struggles that other teams were having. So what we do when we release a new library is that we use a tool called Renovate, which basically automatically creates PRs at other products that for automatic upgrades. So we use that for all our libraries, but also for our internal libraries. Hey, there's a new version out there, which creates the PR, runs all your CI, and checks this, if this is actually working. But after that, you want to sort of collect how easy was this process, right? Was it, for example, build was green, you click the button, you ship it, everything is just fine? Or was there actually a lot of sort of struggles to get sort of the adoption of sort of this new version? And one way to do that is is, is sort of after sort of PR merger, after release, you can have sort of very easy sort of Slack bot saying to the developer who sort of did this, hey, how easy was this upgrade? And was this okay? Was it sort of neutral or was it actually pretty bad? And for sort of those cases, can you tell us a little bit more? And you can sort of relate this to the actual version or the actual upgrade that you need to do. Uh, maybe this was just the, the the patch version release from, I don't know, version 14.0 to 14.1. Or maybe actually they were lagging behind because they were busy with other priorities and they were actually upgrading from version 35 to 30 or whatever, right? And then suddenly, actually, that became a horrible experience because they now suddenly had to sort of figure out all these change logs looked okay, they released it, everything sort of broke, people were running around, everything was in was in fire, and they had a terrible experience, which then also can have significant impacts 
on the, let's say, goals and, let's say, the objective as a company, right? So in our case, we have a lot of operations because we do our delivery. So, but then if we impact them and people cannot actually deliver, let's say, groceries, that is very painful, right? Uh, people are sitting around, unsure what to do. There's just there's a lot of people you're sort of impacting very directly and it's just it's very expensive to do so. So you want to sort of get a feedback loop going to understand what that means. And taking the understanding from your context, what is maybe easy to do, is not always the case for everyone in your organization. It's such a cool approach to gathering feedback in sort of a seamless way. I'm curious, do you specifically, like what kinds of feedback do you specifically ask for? Is it just like an open text box? Are you just asking, you know, any feedback? Or I'm just curious what kind of insights you're able to capture. It's very straightforward. We didn't want to make like a huge surveys out of it because especially if you are doing a fair amount of these sort of upgrades then so it's very sort of we give you three buttons it's was it good was it neutral was it bad right and optional you can add a sort of in free form text field you can, can add some more information we cannot improve that in the future at the moment this is good enough right because you already get enough sort of uh, qualitative feedback to do so we do also do more quantitative feedback for that is more sort of like a structured survey that we're running within our company where we sort of across all our developers across all sort of the roles but also sort of our analysts working a lot with sort of our python tooling ask them what on various sort of aspects their sort of input and that is more sort of like quantitative sort of analysis with a few sort of more qualitative aspects to it so i think you kind of always need both but with very sort of easy unstructured feedback, it's often that you can already get a lot of value out of it. It doesn't always need to be, let's say, this 10-page form that you need to sort of fill out because people will also not do it, right? You need to make things easy, right? And if it's not, then people won't do it. And I'm curious, you started kind of giving a preview of this, but what is this sort of larger survey that produces quantitative measurements? I'm curious what your guys' approach is to that. How often do you run it? What, what are some of the maybe key questions or measurements you capture through it? Yeah, so we run it twice a year, which we, inspiration came a bit of like the, the state of DevOps. So we call it the state of picnic DevOps report. Like how are we currently doing with our company around this? So running is two times a year and then it's an anonymous survey. So everyone can participate. We encourage them to participate. It's not mandatory, right? If you don't want to, <laughs> you don't have to, but voicing your opinion, most people find valuable and, and we see very high participation rates. From there, we gather a few sort of insights and looking at what also the other more sort of known reports are doing, such as like state of DevOps, which you also have from, let's say, JetBrains and Stack Overflow. And you have a few sort of others who do sort of this, um, this bigger uh, surveys across sort of the state of, uh, of tech. We focus around a few sort of areas. So on one hand, around goals. So how aware are you as a team of your goals? And do you actually feel that you are doing well and actually meeting them or not? And from there, we sort of move slowly towards actually building things. So around knowledge and documentation, around the implementation of things. How do you do change approval? So let's say sort of the process around sort of PRs and feedback and this is not only about sort of the speed of these change approvals, but also do you feel that you always are comfortable providing feedback and do you actually also get constructive feedback? Because we rely on it for high quality software, but if you don't feel that you can speak your mind, then something is really 
not going well around quality, around how, how do you deploy, but also sort of what are sort of your levels of testing that you're actually working with? What sort of your deployment strategies do you, but also as an engineer, like very simple question is, do you know how to deploy? And do you know how to, is a deployment, is that sort of, would you consider that as being straightforward? Do you also know how to roll back if things are going wrong? Uh, but then also around the observability, once you actually put something live, do you have, do you get proactive, let's say, notifications if something is going wrong? Do you feel that you have the right tools to diagnose things? Do you notice it before maybe your customers are reporting issues? Like when we got started, the way how we to know when things were going bad, like a couple of years ago, is that basically our customer success would basically start phoning or we had we even had like a channel for this, I think, where which is basically, man, things, everything is down, things are not working, we need to fix this ASAP. And now we're much better state, but even then, like, are you able to sort of do this much quicker than maybe your other teams? Do you notice and can you basically act upon this in a sort of a timely manner? So it's basically sort of this whole sort of DevOps cycle and sort of item sort of look at it and, and how well are we doing it? So we do ask you also your, your role. So maybe like a Java engineer or machine learning or data science or, or an analyst or a product manager or a tech lead. And also sort of what sort of roughly your, your domain that you're working. And then you can sort of slice and dice all these answers that they're giving them. And then you see that in, in some areas, teams are doing really well, maybe in, in a certain area, let's say, for example, around quality, but maybe in other areas, this is more challenging. So an example was that we saw around quality that our um, data science and, and machine learning engineers were having a bit of a hard time because not only do you need to make sure that your services are actually working as appropriately, but you also actually need to have the right quality of your model, right? And of your data set that you're actually reading from. So they actually have, they have more aspects that they need to sort of take into account, not only sort of releasing your features and making sure that services is running as fast and, and let's say with high uptime and high, uh, let's say, um, SLAs, et cetera. So that gave us a lot of sort of insight into sort of their thoughts. And now from, there, the question is, how do you go forward? Because in some cases, things are not going well, right? And it is anonymous, so we cannot sort of send them a message to sort of clarify our answers. What you can do from there is start organizing sessions around it. So, hey, we're seeing in this domain area, it's not going well. Sort of shout out to everyone, like who wants to participate in like sort of a session to talk about this, right? To give... And then it's still optional for them. So if they don't feel like they want to talk about it, they don't need to join. Uh, but if they do, they can voice their opinion, give a bit more color to it. You can have a very fruitful discussion around it to sort of see how you can help them as, as sort of best as possible. And hopefully then over time, you, you see sort of nice trends in there. We haven't run this for many years yet. So I think the trends we still need to, we don't know yet, but uh, at least we feel that we're providing value to that. Very cool. I, I'm how did you design this survey? Was this inspired by the annual State of DevOps report survey? Is that where a lot of the kind of questions were kind of pulled from? Or was this very much done just in-house? So we definitely used a few of them as, as sort of inspiration. But we, we did develop at least the questions in-house. We did also ask others from other teams their input to check, hey, in terms of completeness, but also... Do they feel these are the right questions? And in some cases, especially in the beginning, I think we phrased some of the questions a bit 
too quickly as being more sort of opinionated. So you introduce bias very quickly. Uh, so there we, we had to do, let's say, a few uh, sort of iterations on it to sort of make sure that we are covering it well and, and not biasing it too much. Yeah. And I'm curious, is this like a program that's owned by the platform team or is this coming from like your CTO? Who's owning this sort of state of the DevOps thing? That would be me. I would basically do this, improve my, uh, let's say, uh, HTML, CSS skills again and uh, combine it with my um, sort of data analysis. So I, I am actually sort of a, an analyst, let's say, originally. Um, so working, let's say, with the data, etc., is definitely something I like to do, but also sort of help me here to sort of put that in there and also make it public in the end. So what we in the end sort of published was in our, we have like an internal thing that we deploy where we now have the sort of website sort of hosted that you can take a look at. It. So it's completely sort of open with some of the insights that we took out of it. But then also all the raw data is still available to everyone. So if they feel the conclusion would be actually different, they can sort of dive in and they could also slice and dice across also the different roles. So but it's sort of a nice Tableau dashboard where you can do sort of all the, the nice things uh, around it. So this is something I feel that I think as a PM is sort of a great angle to, to sort of do, right? Because you, you sort of want to understand, let's say, a bit of the state, how things are, are doing and um, how you can actually improve things and what should be your, your areas of, uh, of focus. Awesome. Well, I'd love to learn more about all the tools you've built and the approach around this at some point. But kind of coming back around, I'd love to ask you more about the transition that your organization and your team went through. You mentioned to me before this call that you know, it's been this kind of ongoing effort to transition your platform teams from pure engineering teams to actual product teams. So I'm just curious, what have been the biggest challenges of integrating PMs into Infra? And how has it changed maybe how these teams work and what they're focused on? So maybe as a star disclaimer, I guess we're definitely not there yet. And we're definitely not, we can always keep sort of improving things. What sort of this, the state that we were in before is that there, there was a lot of sort of good things happening and a lot of sort of more senior engineers or engineers who were with us for a longer time, who sort of worked on sort of various products. They wanted to focus more on the foundational elements, reuse on one hand, duplication, but also on the other hand, actually sort of push the state of tech that we're, that we're using, like deprecating things we should get rid of and improve things or adopt, let's say, new technologies. Over time, let's say historically, you had sort of a lot of these engineers with like, a huge sort of passion for these things sort of moving to the, to the platform teams. One thing that, that was quite hard is if you would ask any of them, like, do you have a roadmap of things to do? And they would list things that they're working on, but not so much, very similar. So what is sort of the goal that you're, you're trying to solve here? And very similar. And that doesn't mean they were not providing value, but in some cases, it could have maybe provided more value for the other prior teams within our organization. So it's then more sort of a, of a trade-off of time in that regard. So now with a few of our sort of first PMs, they are working together with the team, all coming from different backgrounds, so both from a engineering background, but also from a more traditionally PM background. You see that they are really focused on also like 
building up that sort of community of users and building out that sort of a shared understanding, where do we sort of want to go? What's a bit of sort of also the vision for the product that we want to go? What are our clear goals that we want to achieve? And actually, does it actually fit within the challenges that, that we have as an organization, right? Example is what, what you see in many companies is they want to maybe reduce the time for you know, onboarding. But if you're if you're onboarding somebody new, but if your strategy is not to grow quickly and hire a lot of new people, then it's still, yes, it's painful for these few hires that you're getting in, but that's maybe a bit of, of a shame of the time that you're spending because you're not getting the most value out of it. Maybe you should actually focus on the productivity of your current engineers because maybe you already have quite a few and every 0.1% improvement you're doing there has a sort of a huge impact on sort of the overall I think, and the third one is also the ex- the experience of your developer. So it's not only about does this make you able to build something faster. It's also sometimes if you yes, maybe it doesn't take too much time to I don't know click these couple of buttons, but if everyone is incredibly annoyed by doing sort of a certain sort of task because they have to I don't know from deploy things or whatever, that can be sometimes a very easy gain that you can do and just increasing your, your happiness in your organization, which helps retention, which helps in the end also productivity, right? If it's more of a joy to build things, there's enough research that shows that um, engineers uh, are also more effective in their jobs, even though the absolute time save is maybe uh, not so much. I love that story and also the distinctions there are at the end around, well, just, just being deliberate about, you know, helping enable developers and not just thinking about maybe time inefficiencies, but also just the, the actual developer experience itself. Well, Yomar, I really appreciate having you on the podcast today and have really enjoyed this conversation. Thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks so much for the invite of being here.